be joined by our contributing writers and artists to discuss latest articles and other subjects of interest. To learn more about us, please visit our website www.mangalmedia.net. Mangal Media is supported entirely by reader donations. Please remember to visit our Patreon site to browse our monthly pledges. Among our subscriber rewards is our first illustrated short story, Guide to Every City, a fictional guide to a made-up city inhabited entirely by insects. In this episode, I will be joined by Sarah Shami to talk about her recent articles, Is Karina Kapoor More Iconic Than Rachel Adams? And Never Have I Seen So Much Representation. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. So to start off, like you have, just to give the kind of background story for the article that you wrote for us, you've contacted us a couple of months ago uh, when we had announced that we wanted to do a series of articles about nostalgia. And you contacted Mm -hmm. us in April uh, saying that you've had an idea for an article which compares Karina Kapoor to Rachel McAdams. That's a very superficial, of course, uh, summary of the article. Uh, but yeah. perhaps at first you might want to kind of give us a summary of what you wrote about. Uh, all right. Okay. So when 2020 um, came about, I was seeing a lot of stuff on the internet that was celebrating chick flicks and like just like Rachel McAdam movies or movies in that ballpark because that's like those movies were what made the early 2000s and the 2010s so iconic and that made up a huge part of my childhood and uh, like I was very nostalgic about um, movies like that but at the same time I was also like there was this hidden nostalgia for Bollywood and Indian movies in my like in my part like in my experience and I just I never really valued that so I wanted to write a piece where I paid homage to that part of my childhood and that like I wanted to express my nostalgia for Bollywood and like the Desi experience basically while also like talking about how my childhood was shaped by a lot of white people movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to sort of weigh them together and I sort—I of, wanted to sort of like draw parallels between them to explain why both of them appealed to me so much when I was a child. Mm-hmm. And so the article kind of revolves around, like you said, you being into what you refer to as uh, white movies and white culture. And then you have something of a change of heart. And from what I understood, your relationship to your own language is kind of one of the crucial elements that made you have a change of heart. Uh, Yeah, it was that. But also it was the fact that I, I just, you know, when you grow up in Pakistan, you're sort of raised with the, you're sort of raised with, Indian and Pakistani movies and music and um, you don't really have to make the effort to discover them because your family already introduces you to them so you sort of take them for granted and you don't realize that you did kind of enjoy movies and music from your own part of the world and yeah my relationship with my language had to do with that because um, but 
like when we go to school we're taught predominantly in english and we're barely taught anything in urdu except for urdu literature itself and um when i grew older i realized how important it is to preserve language and you know how important language has played like how important of a role language has played in resistance and revolution in my part of the world and i sort of wanted to you know be part of the preservance of language and i feel like that also like that freaked me out like i was like urdu is disappearing from here because no one talks in urdu around me and i sort of wanted to still keep it around and one of the aspects also is fashion right that that you yeah. have a change of heart in yeah um so i've always really liked fashion and i've always really you know i've always really liked movies that have to do with very fashionable like iconic people and um i used to like i used to be very influenced by white fashion when i was younger but i started paying more homage to like fashion homegrown local fashion as well once i learned about cultural appropriation and once i learned about how much of white fashion is taken from here without us being duly credited for it so that also like that also had a role to play in my piece because when you know like karina kapoor like karina kapoor's role in kuch kuch hota hai was i feel like it was a lot like characters like regina george from mean girls or um sher from clueless but it's just that that's the role of karina kapoor that stood out to me the most when i was younger when i grew older i realized karina kapoor was actually a style icon herself when she was playing roles that weren't really in that mean girl or that popular girl character trope because the, my favorite movie like the movie that i talk about in my article kuch kuch hota hai um and kabhi khushi kabhi gham the movies that i talk about are very like they're not even set in india they were like karina kapoor and kabhi khushi kabhi gham is in london if i'm not wrong and mm-hmm. you know the, i i still like when i was a child i still i was still drawn to that instead of like karina kapoor wearing like indian fashion or being like you know in this part of the world so even when you were discovering their movies you were discovering it through their existence in the west yeah because um i was just so exposed to that when i was a child that i was like comfortable with that and also there's like you know we were a colony once and there's always this like post colonial hangover that stays for generations it still exists in a lot of people where you just think that white culture is superior to your own which like i've now realized is not true but yeah uh, like people would always make it sound like brown culture is i don't know it's outdated or it's like cringy or something um because like this is in reference to my more recent article which was like the never have i ever review mm-hmm. i saw a lot of hate for never have i ever and i saw a lot of i saw a lot of people um say <laughs> that davy's family in the show has really janky accents and 
you know that's not how brown people talk and i took so much offense to that because that's how i talk and that's how my family talks mm-hmm. so i don't know why these brown people were like we don't talk like that because i was like we do and we've always been shamed for it so like it's time to really reclaim that and it's time to you know stop by washing ourselves i think yeah that's one of the lines of criticism uh that relates to the representation of any non-white ethnic identity it's yeah you're representing us as country bumpkins but we are actually capable of assimilating a lot more than you think we are yeah uh but the show also came under criticism for other aspects like how it ignores caste division in india and things like that also yeah and i agree i agree with that but never have i ever was a show okay so here's what i think that so i know i did my research before writing my piece and i know how never have i ever came into being it came into being because netflix approached mindy kaling and they wanted to make a show based off of her childhood mm-hmm. now mindy kaling comes from an upper class relatively privileged family of south asians right and if she were to make a show about her childhood and she depicted her like she depicted the person who was supposed to be her childhood self as less privileged than she actually was i feel like that would have been even more problematic mm. because like what what are you doing if you're doing that right uh, it's kind of like uh fetishizing poverty or something Yeah yeah so i feel like that wouldn't have been cool i wouldn't have been cool with that if some privileged person showed themselves to be less privileged than they are mm-hmm. um so i since i also come from a privileged background and since i'm also brown i thought that was better representation than most things i've seen because i grew up watching like the simpsons and you know there's like this brown character in the simpsons and he's like completely used for comic relief and mm-hmm. we're not like that and we're also not like balgies from phineas and ferb no one named that first of all pronounces their name like that mm-hmm. or talks like that or acts like that um so like that was the best i got in like a really long time like i hadn't seen my uh, my culture represented more accurately than in never have I ever but that's from personal experience Also one of the things that you note in the article beyond cultural representation is kind of like a generational representation it's like one of the few shows that uh, actually use actors of that age group to represent that age group Yeah yeah they one of the one of the actors who plays a high schooler is old but like you know um when i was like 14 15 i i used to see shows where 30 year olds would play high schoolers mm. and that just you know you, it just doesn't feel real like it feels dramatic and like theatrical or whatever like the show could be amazing but it's just it's not true in its essence like it's just it doesn't feel right i don't know how to explain it better than like you know it's just not real because why are these grown people playing mm-hmm. high schoolers um so i really liked um the fact that they cast people of color and they cast people of color who were the right age to play the roles like these kids actually just graduated high school like they're the same age as me so i really like that um i feel like that they just made the characters more true and more relevant to you of know of course 
because yeah. a lot of these shows kind of deal with really intimate issues of teenage sexuality uh, yeah which, which is a very complicated issue like everyone who's been a teenager would remember that and yeah. when you see a 30 year old person representing a 15 year old person there's it's, it becomes very difficult to be able to relate to that character, to be able to um, digest uh, whatever positive message it might have about teenage sexuality and how uh, the empathy yeah. of understanding that it's a very complicated process. When you see a 30-year-old person going through what a 15-year-old person is going through, it's kind of like, you know, when grown-ups would come and say to high school students don't worry about it it's all going to be over as a as a high yeah. school student that always made me think it's easy for you to say because you're not going through yeah. this right now it's major invalidation i mean older people have it all figured out and they think in hindsight it might seem like you know it's going to turn out fine especially if you're depicting something um besides heterosexuality because um that's even harder for, like, I feel like it would be hard for a 30-year-old to play a closeted 15-year-old. Like, yes. it's, just, it's just not realistic, right? Because how do you, like, go into your character? Hmm. And the idea of dealing with teenage LGBTQ identities in, in television is, like, very new. Like, I don't remember that happening even back in the noughties or when yeah. I was a child. I'd never seen a gay character in a in a teenage show yeah and um i feel like that's been happening a lot and a lot of shows again a lot of shows do that for like token representation or comic relief so i thought never have i ever did that pretty well like it like kept it like age appropriate in a sense like mm -hmm. it wasn't unrealistic and it was um you know like all the representation, there was also disability representation in mm. Never Have I Ever. I haven't really seen a lot of that, actually. Like, I have seen representation of different sexualities a lot more than I've seen disability being represented mm. in a Netflix show or like a teenage show. And compared to its other rivals, for example, that deal with uh, teenage sexuality, where do you think it, like, I've, I've only seen a bit of sex education, which I couldn't watch it after the first episode. It just seemed to me too much like a, like a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, oh my God, I like Wes Anderson's style. <laughs> you so, do? Yeah, it's very quirky and, um, you know, like, why not? Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't like, feel too bad about it. I don't feel too bad about new age Netflix shows. Um, especially during quarantine, I've been seeing all of them. The one that I really but like, I still think, yeah, yeah. The I'm one sorry. that I really like, which deals uh, with teenage sexuality, although it deals with teenage sexuality, it's really meant for grown-ups. Uh, have you seen Big Mouth? Yeah, I have. It's very, um, yeah, I really like it. I think the creators of Family Guy made it, and I really liked Family Guy when I was a child. But then mm. I grew up and realize how problematic Family Guy can be at times. So uh, really I didn't even know that the guy from Family Guy made this one. Some people from Family Guy made it. And um, it's just that uh, Big Mouth has like the Family Guy essence, but it's like more politically, you know, it's more politically 
correct mm. which i i really like what's some what's something that i really like about this current era is that shows have to be politically correct and they have to have representation in them because um if they like even if it is for you know damage control reasons even if the creators are scared of being called out at least we don't see problematic and offensive um rhetoric presented in shows as much anymore even if the yes. creators do it out of fear because um i feel like people like us like our parts of the world are what like are the people affected the most when shows are problematic because a lot of stuff is offensive to you know like there's a lot of stereotypes about pakistanis and there's a lot of stereotypes about brown people that are negative that have been negatively depicted on uh, on mainstream media before mm-hmm. and on shows before and i feel like the whole wave of political correctness is changing that and like never have i ever especially really like shown like a ray of hope for accurate brown representation in my opinion i know the show got a lot of criticism for many different things and obviously on uh, your website as well you posted an article that was very critical of it and mm-hmm. i read it and i understood the person's points i understood where they were coming from it's just that when it was about the cast issue i already said it was because it was an account of mindy kaling's life mm-hmm. like it was a semi autobiography so i i thought that it would be more problematic if she showed herself to be of lower caste than she actually was yeah it makes sense you ultimately write about what you know about yeah i just i feel like you know that like writing about someone who's um a lot less privileged than you should be left to those people because it's their narrative and it's not for us to steal like i personally wouldn't do that because it's not my story to tell of course of course then it's uh then it opens up to uh, criticism of appropriation as well yeah yeah i feel like i feel like we don't talk about class appropriation like i don't even think that's a word but like you know what i mean right like cultural appropriation but it's class like yes. rich people trying to reclaim like poor people's rhetorics and poor people's narratives which i feel like i think that's really problematic because they butcher it up quite a lot and mm-hmm. it really shows when it's like a rich people stealing someone's if it's like a rich person stealing someone's someone else's issues and trying to reclaim them because it's just not for them to reclaim they they just haven't experienced those issues intimately enough to you know yeah, be yeah, able to accurately talk about them it's the same thing as kind of global cultural appropriation it's kind of like yeah. white people i don't know getting corn rolls while you know an overwhelming majority of white people would and yeah, classify yeah. african americans who have corn rolls as being criminals but when a white person does it it's kind of revolutionary and it's super interesting cool and quirky <laughs> exactly Yeah. What I find interesting again going back to uh, this idea that you know uh back in the notes the things that as kind of people living in the periphery the things that we could relate with were uh re- limited and now we got uh we got at least a foothold uh for new content that we can find much more relatable for ourselves. But you know it's yeah. because the time has changed and back then we used to, I mean I in relationship to your Karina Kapoor and Rachel McAdams article 
I had kind of like a relationship with uh, punk music. Uh, that's, yeah. That's very similar to, to, to your development with this. I was kind of like, I was fascinated with it, even like you describe in the article, you know, the part where you say, oh, I was looking forward to the days when everybody would memorize the lyrics for Britney Spears so we could all sing together. There's, of course, there's something special about the act of singing together that I find to be very, very uplifting. Yeah. Uh, which in the article, of course, you describe your sister's kind of inability to join with you in this collaborative singing and how you're frustrated with it. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's still, I haven't unlearned that entirely because like one thing I don't mention in that article at all is that I grew up really liking Broadway and musical theater. Mm-hmm. And like, if you know this, like musical theater has been mostly like a white people thing, hasn't it now? I suppose so. And but like with the advent of newer um, musicals, like you know, like Hamilton just got released on Disney Plus, and I was like, obsessed with it. And it has a predominantly off-color cast, mm-hmm. and I thought that was so revolutionary because it was black people playing roles that, like, playing characters that were actually white people. Mm. Because it was like the retelling of America then by America now. And I thought that was so powerful. So like, again, it also comes down to how like right now is a very strong like climate for political activism and political correctness. And I feel like a lot of people are now doing things right that they were doing wrong previously. So I feel like, you know, the whole... I feel like the Hamilton's cast being black was very powerful and mm. like I was still trying to get my sister to watch it but she still wasn't watching it because she didn't she hadn't known about American history the way I did mm-hmm. which I feel I don't blame her at all because like American history isn't entirely relevant to us like it's okay to like study it to draw parallels between I don't know American history and history of other places but like, again, we can't blame Pakistanis for not knowing about American history or American politics because our issues are more intimate and more important for us to focus on first before we start talking about other issues. And on the other hand, I also think that when it comes to kind of like national histories, it's not so much about, you know, having to learn American history or so. But I think, I think we are now at an age where distinction between uh, I mean, even like in history writing in itself, the distinction between the boundaries of where American history ends and where Pakistani history starts are also kind of, because our, our histories, especially with the United States, is very much interlinked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I don't know, I feel like European history also like started a lot of like political labels, like the whole left right and center thing was mm-hmm. started because of the french revolution so i i mean i took world history in high school and pakistanis don't have to take it we have to take pakistani history when we're younger but you know i took it for the last two years in school so i learned a lot of things and i learned how to use it to my advantage like i learned how to link it to Pakistani politics and Pakistani history like I learned how to draw parallels and analyze and I feel like that's something that you have to constantly do as a person of color when you're living in a white centric world Mm -hmm. you sort of have to use it to your own advantage and you sort of have to 
apply it to your own circumstances mm-hmm. which i feel like i've done with european history a lot uh the one question that i wanted to ask you which uh that's where, where i was leading up to earlier about uh, my own um, development of interest in punk music and then kind of turning my back to it and stuff and coming to realization that you, much like you describe in your article actually coming to realization that all my interest in this kind of like western culture questioning yeah. whether i was neglecting quote unquote my own culture because there's so much i realized that i didn't know about turkish culture itself and at some yeah. point i've come to a stage where i was feeling profoundly embarrassed about my lack of knowledge in 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 my own culture yeah i was wondering if you went through a similar phase of being embarrassed Uh, for your disconnection uh for sure yes because a, uh, a lot of the times my friends talk about a lot of i stopped consuming bollywood movies and like first of all bollywood isn't even pakistani it's indian but mm. like bollywood is a big thing in all of south asia i feel so all of us like culturally sort of relate and like bollywood resonates within all of us culturally but i stopped consuming bollywood um because there were a lot of sexist and misogynistic aspects of bollywood movies but like while i understand that that was valid and all a lot of my friends know about movies and songs that i have no idea about and a lot of my friends like casually like to shame me for not knowing about uh, things that have to do with our culture which like i understand because i like there's a huge gap like i did not consume Pakistani or Indian movies or music for the longest time, like all of my like early teenage years, um, and yeah, it was embarrassing. For like, for the most part, yeah, it was embarrassing. But also, I do acknowledge that um, I sort of left those things out for valid reasons sometimes because they were like a lot of them were super sexist, and you know, I just did it for my own mental health sake. Mm-hmm. Like, I just left them out. So you didn't go through that. similar uh, stage of being embarrassed about your cultural choices it was i i went through a state of being embarrassed definitely but it wasn't like exactly like yours because um i also had valid reasons for leaving out um a lot of mainstream desi entertainment uh now that there's more underground artists in pakistan and india that are both rising up who create like politically correct minority friendly entertainment content like films and music i like i feel like this reconnection is established between me and my own culture because i feel like the right storytellers are there now to tell the stories so what kind of new stories are being told in pakistan right now in popular entertainment uh so there's a lot of like uh, there's a lot of indie bands that are springing up which i think is really cool so um Yeah, they're sort of like i i don't know what how even to like describe pakistani indie music it just hits home it's very it sounds very traditional but also very fresh and new at the same time um they're not very no, well known but they're like rising up for sure like we have bands like uh, there's this band called sikandar ka mandir 
and <laughs> I got introduced to it when I was like in the 10th grade. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I instantly became obsessed with it. They kind of sound like Fallout Boy, but at the same time, like there's a lot of Desi elements to their music and it's entirely in Urdu. Um, so yeah, th- like there's stuff like that. And then there's also like more underground movies being made now. I feel like India is doing that more than us, but I feel like we will follow suit. Like there's... So there was this animated short made by Pakistanis and it was called Shehre Tabassum and it's like set in a futuristic dystopian Karachi where there's a lot of surveillance and you sort of always have to smile because if you don't smile then you will have to face the consequences for it and there's devices monitoring that you're smiling all the time mm. and I thought that was such a cool concept because um, you know it was really like it really depicts to the terrifying aspects of surveillance and you know it really depicted how we have these ideals for progression and how we define progressive countries as something but they might not like a progressive country might not be a happy country necessarily mm-hmm. so I thought that was a really cool animated short and it, it's on YouTube with like English subtitles oh also it's in Urdu and it's animated which I rarely get to see in like Pakistan, so I thought that was really cool. So I feel like the key to re-establishing the connection with my own culture has been following the right artists who tell culturally sensitive and like who tell politically sensitive stories that don't offend people like me. Mm-hmm. I would love to see the. Uh... Uh, the animation that you talked about. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, speaking of kind of the, uh, what's the word? The development of kind of global cultures uh, that rivals uh, Western entertainment. I think there was a book by uh, Fatima Bhutto. I think she, she was the one who wrote it about the rise of Turkish uh, TV shows and uh, K-pop. And kind of like cultural entertainment that comes out of nations that we usually would associate as being the periphery is kind of on the rise. I know she's written a lot of great things, but I, I don't know if she wrote that one. But yeah, she probably did. Say what? I, I couldn't hear what you said. I don't, I haven't read this in particular and I don't know if she wrote this. Like she probably did, but I know that she writes a lot of amazing things. Uh... I, I was trying to find the name of the book, um, but I can't right now. I, I, I think it was her, but I was also curious because this entire subject mm, kind of is very relevant to our own Turkish and Pakistani kind of moment in yeah. entertainment right now, because Pakistan is a huge consumer of Turkish TV shows. Yeah, yeah, we are. And it puts the first time in my life when I was growing up in the 1990s, I would have never imagined that Turkey would be such a major producer of TV shows. And like we would be Mm -hmm. exporting cultural products to like the entire world. And people abroad would feel so strongly about about the cultural products that are coming out of here. 
And for the yeah. first time in my life, when I saw there was, you know, that dispute about the, the TV show, the, the TV show Arturul and about how the actors in it should behave and stuff like that. Like when, when those came out of Pakistan. Yeah, I, the moral policing of uh, the, like, I think she's the female protagonist. I, I haven't been updated about this, but I was, I was actually looking at this, Turkish actresses Instagram account mm -hmm. the other day and there were a lot of Pakistani comments moral policing her but at the same time there were also Pakistani fans who were like this is embarrassing we're not like this please stop <laughs> in the comments yes. and I thought that was really funny because I related to that because I was like getting embarrassed at the moral policing <laughs> <laughs> I feel like some people just really don't uh, dissociate the actor from the character. Yeah, they, they expect the and actor to like be exactly some like Some Pakistani that. men were getting shook that she's not the character she plays in real mm -hmm. life. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny, but also like it was really problematic. But I was like, how do you not process that, right? Like she's her own person and, you know, she's not the character she plays. Mm. I was also curious about to what extent these shows have penetrated into Pakistan. I mean, for example, have you ever watched any of them? I have not, but I know most people do. And it's like, they're huge here. And they have, like, they have immersed into Pakistan, the Pakistani world quite a lot. Like, there's a lot of posts about them on social media. And I feel like they've trended on Twitter a couple of times. And yeah, like they like they're a huge part because we used to watch um, Indian dramas first, but I feel like everyone grew out of that, and now people watch Turkish dramas a lot. And is that because earlier you were saying that the reason you have kind of abandoned watching? I mean, you've never really developed an interest in Indian TV shows, like you said, out of your own mental sanity because you found them to be extremely yeah. misogynistic. And the yes. entrance of these Turkish uh shows is is there do you think do they make a progress from the stuff that you've seen growing up or are they still pretty much in the same place so i haven't seen uh, turkish shows and i feel like a lot of them are like different from each other um i feel like a lot of them are just like harmless you know like shows that don't really have any i i haven't really seen them so i can't comment but uh, I feel like the reason why Pakistanis have moved on from Indian dramas to Turkish dramas is the Muslim representation, mm. I feel like. Because everyone talks about that a lot. Um, but since I haven't really seen them, I don't feel like I get to comment on this. Okay, I see what you mean. So, but what about, for example, I mean, how do you feel about... The kind of entertainment that you want to consume in the future, uh, do you think uh, your own local producers will be able to come up with the kind of content? I mean, does, does your expectations for the future match the realities of the production that's happening in Pakistan right now? Or is it, is it going to be possible, do you think? Uh, I definitely have a lot of hopes when it comes to like underground productions a lot i don't know about mainstream like dramas i feel like some of them are really progressive and i really like some of them and i follow i follow like a small minority of mainstream pakistani dramas i don't know about 
most of them to be honest mm-hmm. i feel like that's what sells like most pakistani dramas are uh, centered around like this damsel of dis- damsel in distress and i feel like that's what sells here so mm-hmm. i wouldn't blame producers for making stuff like that like it's hard to bring about a major shift in what you create if what you already create is selling right this is from a very capitalistic point of view but i feel like uh, it's kind of disappointing because i feel like they're not going to stop making shows like that because people consume them quite a lot mm. so you think the main kind of uh, advances in terms of creating a more kind of progressive culture are made in the field of music right now in pakistan uh i feel like yes but also there's animated shorts that are coming about and uh hopefully like non animated short films as well i've seen a lot of new short film channels spring up and i have my hopes rest with them my hopes basically rest with like underground creators and underground storytellers and i feel like i identify as one of them even though like i just write articles and i just started 5 months ago but i if if a movement of new art is coming about in pakistan and i definitely want to be a part of it myself mm. and is there kind of like a similar thing that's happening in a literary scene um the literary scene has always kind of been progressive because um there's like there's we have writers like from the pakistani diaspora that write a lot of really progressive things um one of my favorite brown writers is mohsen hamid and he writes really progressive stuff mm-hmm. he's a contemporary writer yeah i feel like yes he sort of so he's sort of post modern but he also like stays to to his roots which i feel like is super important because you know a lot of people um equate modernity with being more western mm. which i feel like that's like the that's like the kind of mentality we need to get rid of mm-hmm. and what's what's your suggestion for getting rid of that mentality uh i honestly don't know because like progressiveness threatens a lot of people um people just can't digest the fact that we can be progressive while staying true to our cultural roots mm-hmm. um i feel like i don't know how to get rid of that mentality yet i feel like if people knew for sure how to get rid of it we would have gotten rid of it by now but we haven't clearly mm-hmm. um like it's just that modern thinking and modern beliefs are usually associated with the west and um people don't realize that those can exist while you're like just as pakistani as you were before yeah it you don't have to see kind of your own identity as inherently misogynist or homophobic that it can it can yeah like i feel like a lot of people see our identity as non progressive and they want to cherish that and they want to value that but i just like it's just it's not necessary like cultures are created for people by people and they can grow as generations grow and as people grow and that's what ha- that's what has happened in the past so i don't know why people are so scared of change 
I also think this entire idea of acting as though everything, uh, acting as though there's a thing, like a unified thing called Western culture and assuming that it's really progressive, assuming that it's really enlightened and stuff. I think it does a disservice to everybody else in terms of a, a historical disservice because yeah, it makes us forget to the extent to which everybody else has contributed willingly or unwillingly to the creation of contemporary Europe and United States. Yeah, yeah, we have, right? Because we've all been colonies and stuff before, first of all. And like, secondly, I feel like it's just kind of insensitive to say that the West is the epitome of um, progress because people like us are oppressed there. So like, what about that? Like, mm. there's, there's change coming about there as well, which is great and all, but, the you know, like there's no specific country that's like the epitome of progress because there's people who believe in all sorts of like who are who belong to all sorts all places in the political compass everywhere right absolutely so yeah i feel like it's kind of like insensitive to say that the west is just progress and modernity and nothing else and we are just the opposite of that because it's not as black and white as that i feel like like nothing is like a monolith like we all come from different places of you know opinion and different places of political belief exactly and i kind of also wanted to ask you 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 mentioned that you're working on a new article about your goth phase yeah my emo phase yeah emo phase <laughs> yeah. i'm sorry yeah Oh God, that's, it's kind of funny. I went through an emo phase when I was like 14 and uh, it sort of never leaves. Uh -huh. That sounds terrifying. But like once you're exposed to emo music, like I don't know how you could like, you know, go back to listening to quote unquote normal music because it's just, it's so... It's like people assume emo music is like sad and dark and stuff. But the emo music that I listened to was actually super theatrical and flamboyant. And mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, when sometimes I'm having a bad day, I would like go back and listen to like Fallout Boy and Panic at the Disco because it's just the lyrics are so intricate, but they're also screaming those lyrics out. And... I feel like that's such a good coping mechanism that's healthy and like I don't know why subcultures have been frowned upon so much when we're, we've just been harmless kids listening to just slightly different music and wearing just slightly different clothes. Mm -hmm. One thing that I do remember when emo came out in the uh, in the notes was there was a big debate about how hip-hop often gets a lot of criticism about being like having very misogynist lyrics but yeah. emo music also has very misogynist lyrics and a lot of for commentators sure, were sure. pointing out that you know hip-hop was getting all this criticism and this white music genre is being i mean it, it's not just emo music though when i think of it i do remember this debate in the night yeah. uh, in the notes that's happening but when it comes to metal when it comes to punk there's like this uh, All genres have everywhere. misogynistic undertones because misogyny exists and all 
types of people can be misogynistic or people who create all different forms of art can be misogynistic i feel like there's misogynistic lyrics in all genres of music and the like that doesn't mean that we can't like them it just means that we have to find music of that genre that isn't misogynistic and that is relatively more progressive like mm. it's the same thing as i said before like uh when listening to pakistani music i found i like you kind of have to cherry pick and you have to choose like the unproblematic songs from that genre that you want to listen to and i feel like that's the best way to avoid like misogynistic emo music because i've seen that criticism for emo music but like here's the thing you can you can criticize all sorts of music like that like the billboard top 100 is also mostly misogynistic or yes. like uh, e- even if it's not like blatantly explicitly misogynistic it's something that pushes some stereotypes then of course every now and then there's like a tremendously misogynist song like do you remember the uh, song blurred lines from i don't know 5 6 years yeah, ago yeah i i was thinking of that it was disgusting yes. i hated that like i was like how i just i didn't understand because i feel like 2014 and 15 were such good years for like generic billboard top 100 kind of music like that kind like i i i think blurred lines came out around the same time as sia's chandelier came out mm-hmm. i i'm not sure but they used to be like on tv at the same time and everyone was listening to both of them at the same time i feel like there were so many songs that were okay and unproblematic that people could have listened to i just i was so disgusted in the people who ignored all of that and chose to listen to blurred lines because even though there were there was not much political discourse about objectification of women in uh, music i feel like blurred lines was just explicitly wrong and anyone who listened i was like a child when blurred lines came out but even i recognized that that was like really messed up mm-hmm. so if grown adults couldn't recognize that then that sounds like a personal problem to me i don't know man like blurred lines was just really like messed up i mean that song basically caused me to i got angry just talking about it just now exactly i i can't even use that expression anymore blurred lines because it automatically feels to me like the expression itself is associated with rape culture right now yeah it is and i feel like a lot of people uh, throughout history and even now exploit that sort of gray area and now they use blurred lines for that and i think that's so it's so anger inducing and gross like i just i don't know what kind of lack of empathy leads people to say stuff like that like how do you not empathize with victims yes and coming back to the uh, emo uh, subject is there like a scene in pakistan not that i know of when mm. i um uh, when i had my emo phase i was mostly wearing thrifted emo clothes like i had a backpack with skulls all over it but i was like 14 years old when i had my emo phase and uh, no one around me in my uh, school knew about it or knew about emo music when i went to my a level school i met a couple of people who knew the songs but like now we when emo kids grow out of it they sort of sing the songs half ironically and like sort of as a joke so it was really great and heartwarming to find people who knew about emo music in my a level school but i don't think i like i'm sorry to anyone in my o level school who knew about the emo music but i did not find anyone who knew about it 
and uh, I don't think there was a scene. I feel like there w- there must have been some underground scene, uh, some emo underground scene in Pakistan in twenty. 20- 10 or 2007 to like 9 when you know when emo music was rising mm-hmm. but i was 7 8 and 9 years old back then so i definitely did not know about it and my family has been sheltered from all of these like underground scenes and subcultures i was the first one out of my family to discover any of this and i had my emo emo phase after like the whole emo scene sprung about internationally so maybe there was an underground emo scene i was actually thinking of finding people uh to you know like i was thinking of finding people who had been through emo phases who were older than me because even i was wondering um if there was an emo scene in pakistan mm. what makes you i think unique in this kind of uh consumption of cultural material or yeah just like appreciation of music and movies is that throughout your life both in the previous article that you wrote about and in in this kind of like emo uh in your emo phase is you seem yeah. to have gone through all of this alone without without any friends to appreciate any of this with yes and i feel like that was really sad at times because it uh, as you saw in my nostalgia article i wrote about how all my family like bonded over bollywood and they would speak the language that the bollywood actors would speak and it would sort of be something that they don't feel so alone in but for me it was just me constantly trying to like make it a reality for myself and like you know it was i just i sort of felt really alone in all of that so whenever i found people who had had the same childhood experience as me like i found one friend who was as big of a broadway fan as me and she i was straight up i straight up just i did another i did a piece about uh broadway for another website and um it was just like a piece about how broadway made me question my identity and i straight up asked my only friend who knows about broadway why we liked broadway so much and why no one else does and she literally said because we wanted to be white when we were younger oh. and <laughs> and she said that now we overcompensate for it by liking a lot of pakistani things and that felt like an attack because it's true <laughs> but i didn't think it was just that i thought it was like there were parts of it that i genuinely like sure but also like it's also that western um entertainment had non like unproblematic aspects of it to pick and choose from and like now pakistani entertainment has them too so i feel like now i am at liberty and now i get to reestablish that connection with my culture because now there's unproblematic pakistani songs and movies that i can actually like and for you it's not just a journey of quote unquote rediscovering your own culture for you it's also a journey of rediscovering an environment where you can appreciate culture in a collective because it sounds like yeah. all your teenagers you have uh appreciated things that you like in isolation and now you are kind of entering a world in which you can appreciate things with your friends that that must be even more exciting yeah it is it is for sure and i've introduced so many of my friends to the things that i uh that only i liked and i feel like like they like them it's just that they weren't exposed to them ever so like even like 
unproblematic pakistani songs and movies used to exist always it's just that they were so non mainstream like they were so underground that i was never exposed to them and uh, now that i do my research i find so many cool things that were historically created in pakistan which nobody really talked about it it also like i'm thinking i i'm just relating to the experience so much because like when i was a teenager uh dungeons and dragons was like all over the place pretty much yes and i was kind of obsessed with it and i yeah. would try to get my friends to be into it as well i would buy the books and like you know get them to play at first they would find it difficult to take it seriously but slowly people would kind of get into it and stuff yeah and then you would appreciate it collectively which makes it a lot more fun dungeons and dragons reminds me of stranger things and i'm obsessed with the show and because i didn't grow up in the 80s i but like i just i thought those dungeons and dragons was really cool and during my childhood i hadn't ever heard of it the first time i actually heard of dungeons and dragons was i don't know when i was a teenager for sure and like yeah i feel like uh, yeah like i relate to you introducing dungeons and dragons to your friends especially like the whole them not taking things seriously at first and then eventually the things going on them hmm that's a similar experience that to that you've had with your own friends yeah that's like yeah that's how it almost always goes when i'm introducing something new to them i mean that's also the kind of thing it's um uh, we associate a certain culture to be western i don't know like yeah pop music or rock and roll or whatever and then we associate certain kind of culture to be masculine like uh dungeons and dragons or whatever uh where yeah i don't know why like why is dungeons and dragons associated with masculinity because like it doesn't make sense right i think a lot of it has to do with men just insisting not to include women in their hobbies i mean that is an age old thing that men do yeah it is for sure like i want to retreat to my log cabin where i won't have to see my wife so like do not ruin my hobby kind of attitude i think yeah that's so sad yeah it is it is because it makes it even harder to appreciate it with like a group of friends yeah but i feel like um none of my friends are like that so i'm i keep myself very sheltered from uh boys who are girl exclusionary so i yes. sometimes forget that some hobbies are considered uh men only hobbies and some like entertainment aspects are considered men only it's just it's so it's so stereotypical and just doesn't make sense but yeah exactly it's i mean it's very parallel to the idea of uh, seeing as certain hobbies as being white also and then what it does it's like beyond the exclusion once you are i mean dungeons and dragons for example it's also understood to be very white at least until quite recently and once you are a yeah. i don't know woman of color who is interested in something like dungeons and dragons then you have to put up with something like being celebrated or being congratulated for having taken an interest in something that's yeah, so white and so I male yeah i feel like the whole i feel like the whole like it's kind of gross right like when girls like video games 
dudes in my part of the world are like i don't know it's like they're super gross about it because they like put gamer girls to a pedestal like i yes. just i don't know why girls just can't like video games without being fetishized for it you know like i just i it's gross like how women are celebrated for liking alternate things like why can't women just like things they like and why can't we just leave them alone and let them like things they like like i feel like there's always stereotypes for like anything that girls like there will be a negative stereotype attached to it like you, do you know about the whole wisco girl thing that started earlier like last year or something no what's that oh wisco it was basically the stereotype for girls who have metal straws and are sort of influenced by i don't know the 80s i think because they have like they use like scrunchies on their hair and they care about turtles and stuff uh-huh. and <laughs> like it was like ninja turtles no no actual turtles like the uh, environment and stuff Oh, I feel okay. like girls are always like negatively stereotyped for liking anything and everything like it's always existed like pre- previously there used to be like this basic girl stereotype like this basic white girl stereotype for girls who liked wearing ugg boots and like starbucks and stuff and while yeah like I understand why people are sort of annoyed by that but like even if people of color uh liked wearing pink and wearing ugg boots and starbucks they were like called basic and like girls were sort of like shat on for everything like girls have always historically been shat on for liking anything especially if it's alternative and not what's typically expected of them mm-hmm. i think one of the biggest problems with the entire basic uh basic girl stereotype i mean i found it to be extremely useful in terms of like poc activism the whole Karen and yeah. Becky thing I find them to be very No useful, yeah but- no it's I'm not talking about the Karen thing I think that's like perfectly fine I think it's really funny when white people say Karen is a racial slur Exactly <laughs> but the, the one problem is there is no male equivalent of that there is no like we yeah. don't have like a culture of ridiculing basic dude stuff Yeah even though so many dudes are basic like right like <laughs> There's exactly. this whole there's this whole group of like white men who are basically like the male equivalent of Karens I feel like who hate people of color. Exactly. But when I say when I say basic girls I'm not talking about like Karens I'm talking about girls who like um um scented candles feminine things. Yeah yeah. I mean obviously the uh, pumpkin spice latte had become like a huge uh, symbol of that. Yeah, but I just like some of them were unproblematic harmless girls just liking conventionally feminine things and I just I thought it was unfair because a lot of these girls were super young and they were just jumping on the bandwagon exactly. and following trends which I just I don't understand why there was so much hate for girls for liking conventionally feminine things. Exactly. I feel the same way about uh people who get really really angry about like selfies and stuff. Yeah, why? Mm. Like why can't people just enjoy the quirks of this generation, especially girls? Like I feel like people are very unforgiving towards girls liking anything. Yes, yes. They either they're either kind of uh scold them for liking something or they almost yeah. kind of like we talked about like video games earlier, they absolutely 
fetishize them about yeah and something. both of those things are gross and not okay Absolutely. i feel like especially like the whole basic thing i feel like when it's like conventionally attractive blonde skinny girls liking stereotypically feminine things they're still more forgiven but when there's girls of color or plus sized girls or dark skin girls liking the same things they're made fun of even more of course they're made fun of both sides their own community makes fun of them for being white and white people make fun of them for trying to pretend not like being white enough exactly yeah and i just i think that's like i feel like that's it doesn't have anything to do with what the girl likes or what she doesn't like i feel like that's just a, an excuse that we make for hating on girls because that's how much it's deep rooted in our uh, brains i feel that way also well i think we've come to the end of our of our broadcast yeah uh, it was really nice talking to you yeah likewise and i'm really looking forward to your article about emos yeah yeah me too i'm like excited to work on it more well uh let's keep in touch yeah for sure bye bye bye